I'm introducing to you a film dealing with one of the most vital social problems of our time, housing. The land, the land, the ground on which we stand. Yeah, yeah, they're treating us like animals. In fact, they treat animals better than they're treating yeah. us. Quit out of chief out of them. The vast majority of us can't afford to buy us. Welcome to the Britain's Got Tenants podcast. I'm Sophie. And I'm Ben. And we run... On On the the Button. button. (laughs) We're putting together a series of podcasts based on research we've done, all to do with uh, social housing and the history of council housing. Mm -hmm. And this is for our show, Britain's Got Tenants, which we'll be performing in 2016. We also have Deanna Roger with us, who's a brilliant spoken word artist and... Uh, also has a TED talk, I think, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, very yeah, excited about very that. Exciting, yeah. And um, and Diana is going to be talking to us um, a little bit later on, and also performing for us as well today. Um, so today's theme. So it's kind of a broad range of things: housing conditions, the idea of home, the the idea of belonging, and looking at those things from uh, the nineteenth century to the present day. We're focusing particularly, though, on the private rental sector. Yes. That's kind of our area that is the main one that we're looking at at the moment, as opposed to just um, council housing and social housing. We're looking at that yeah. in particular. Um, but we also wanted to, to speak to uh, Deanna because of um, we, we don't want to just talk about material conditions, but also about the idea of home and the idea of like what, what is a home. Today we're going to be doing like, a little experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You're, you're a poet and spoken word artist, mm-hmm. and um, so today you're going to be, over the course of recording the podcast, you're going to be um, writing something in response to the um, things we're saying, and the um, we've got some recordings that we're going to play as well from interviews with people and from Sweet. stuff that we've dug up, uh, basically. Yeah, so um, I'm just going to write down everything that you say and... Um repeat it back to you yeah <laughs> yeah the podcast will be like twice as long yeah <laughs> brilliant yeah. <laughs> uh yeah uh, yeah we don't we don't even need to be recording it probably let's <laughs> just stop now yeah. guys that's yeah um so that's yeah that's kind of the the format for today uh, would you be able to to do your piece on on landlords just to get us started off oh cool yeah do you do you have it with you yeah, it's in my phone somewhere. Um, it was in my brain, and then it <laughs> left my brain. Um. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. <laughs> so this is London Landlords, and it was written for Guardian Comments. I am filtering expectations from trying to find my mum. Play space for my cat. My garden, kitchen table... Downstairs shower, upstairs bathroom, central heating, sinking sofas, desk space, cat flap, skylight. To kitchen work and toilet sink. One bed for free. Use the living room to sleep. I'm filtering standards. Keeping a baseline. Damp visibility free. Bug free. Hygienic. Clean. Pipes leading outside and underground. Standard. Baby boom landlord. What does the average 24-year-old earn nowadays? Early mornings, nights, late, London living wage. How many hours for how many days to earn enough to rent and save? I'm filtering locations to the fringes. 
checking crime rates, mapping cheap rent. Gentrification pushes police poor further while the white collared stay close. I'm bearing in mind oyster card price hikes, the promise of 24-hour tube and night bus bus routes. I'm filtering my tax, my phone bill, my travel, my wine, my hair, my nails, my wax, my charity shop spending, my Sainsbury's habit, my prep habit, legal music, Netflix, internet, filter coffee, kettle chips, capped max, no min, searching. Thatcher's council, advantage landlord. Foreign money, buy to leave landlord. Filter your assets. Hoarders, quicker spenders, many housed people. Rental owners, ministers, sellers of experience, inheritors, entrepreneurs, responsibility, wipeout takers. Take all the change from the new adults. Grey suit homers, nine to five finders, misers that keep on pushing and seeing how much of the market can be squeezed. I'm filtering the apps, trying to avoid the matrix of agents, how they pop out promising space stuff small with their commission. Find me a private landlord. One that invests, one that shows face, that'll knock by and pop by for a cup of tea to make sure everything is lovely and good and honest. Find me an honest landlord, not a stuffed pockets full for the sake of a footballer's wage. Reasonable landlord, who'll trust the tenants to pay, not threaten to take the roof away on those rainy days when freelance fees are delayed. Sweet landlord, please eradicate the estate fees. Decommission the agent. Lower the price per week. Domesticate us, guardian landlord. Filter our disappointment. Filter our restrictions. Filter our fitted caps and raise our standards. Raise our ambitions, our hopes, our futures. Please, loving landlords, imagine us to be your cats. Free to leave and breathe without parents. Help us start our many lives, London landlords. Knowing the bowl will be filled when we return because we can afford to fill the fridge. That was awesome. Sorry Thank for you so much. Your, the mouth slurs, but... That was great. Yeah, it was really <laughs> Live great. in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Thank you. Um, and so you were talking before about, um, you know, what, why you, that you were looking for a flat and that, um, that this is why you got you thinking about this. I think for us too, we were, we were thinking about this before and it's like our own personal experience got us started on this project like our own personal experience of of looking for places and yeah I mean I think everybody's got a story where they've gone Mm. and visited a flat or a a house or whatever and it's basically a joke um how expensive it is compared to what you're getting yeah so so one place that that I visited was um it was a it was advertised as a one bed studio flat the letting agent let me into this house we went up some creaky stairs to start off with she couldn't somehow kind of get into the room eventually when she did she pushed hard against the door and um all of the previous owner's stuff was still there it was kind of like somebody had died in the room mm. all of their stuff was there it was like literally that they'd stepped out of their shoes and just left them where they were like empty like food packets cartons all right. over the place yeah it was just absolutely tiny quite just the walls just covered in damp the windows still open um and the the la- the letting agent said to me oh my god you cannot live here this is <laughs> unbelievable you can't possibly you're not thinking about living here are you and for the letting agent to say that i was like this is pretty serious and it was for about 650 for a month Whoa. and the thing that really is upsetting is that 
some person has lived is now living there mm. probably um and that's definitely i'm sure i was like surely this is illegal no mm. like yeah. and you know and ben's got a sim well, yeah, ben's so, really <laughs> unbelievable so yeah when i was looking for a flat there was um uh it was so there was a photo of it online and they said it's a box room and but it like it looked like a normal room and so I got there and it was like in Greenwich and it was one of these new big new build glass buildings and the people living there I think were quite must have been quite well off because they all like it was a big smart place yeah and the box room was actually like it was literally A a cupboard so except so to make it look like <laughs> everything was normal all the all the furniture in it was like in proportion so it was, there was a tiny little chair <laughs> and a tiny little table <laughs> He stood in it, and like I had to, like I was bent double, and like, and there were like no windows. And it was like yeah, it's like that bit in Boo's on Malcolm like floor seven and a half or whatever it is, where yeah, where everyone has to go around bent uh, bent over. And I just like I got in there and I just like started laughing, and he <laughs> was like, oh, but somebody lived in there for two years. Oh my god! I was like, oh my, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and like, I think everyone who's like looked for a, a flat in London has like these kind of stories which are funny but also sad <laughs> because people yeah. do end up living in these places. Because I think that's the point, yeah, just as, as I was saying as well, that actually there are people who don't have a choice. Like, we're yeah. really lucky because yeah. we do have a choice within reason. Yeah. Um, you know, and we will just say, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to mm. work for whatever, you know, I can't do it. Um, but there are some people who, who are just have no choice. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that we're going to keep coming back to over the period of this, of this, yeah. um, of this yeah. podcast. And that's something that we wanted to talk about. So going on from kind of our own experience and like anecdotal evidence of, of poor housing conditions, we wanted to try and look at what was happening, happening on a more systemic level. Yeah. So you went to speak to um, yeah. Catherine. So yeah, so I met um, uh, a lady called Catherine Sachs Jones, um, who used to work at Crisis um, as the head of policy and campaigns, um, which meant that she campaigned for policy changes uh, surrounding homelessness. And well, I was asking her about conditions in the private rental sector, and here she is just talking about it now. The private rental sector is growing massively. Um, there's more. Um, people in the private rental sector than in the social rental sector now, which is the first time in decades. And for people particularly towards the lower end, they're significant problems. Um, in terms of standards, there are some horrendous uh, conditions in some of the properties at the bottom of the market, uh, damp, you know, wallpaper peeling off the walls, um, no insulation, vermin... Um, dangerous wiring, some really horrendous conditions. Yeah, so she's kind of talking about, I guess, kind of conditions that we might link to, kind of quite like slum conditions, basically. And, yeah, as part of this project, we've been speaking to lots of people campaigning today, but we've also been looking at the history Mm. of housing. And one of the starting points uh, has been um, the Old Nickel Slum, which was a very notorious slum in East London at the end of the 19th century. And again, it was all people living in uh, the lower end of the private rented sector. So at at the time, there was very little social housing. There was no 
state provision of social housing. Um, there were some philanthropists, um, but so it was basically either like you rent or you own property. And so we've, yeah, we, we read up about the old Nichols Sun. There's a great book by a woman called Sarah Wiseman called The Blackest Streets. And she talks about how this slum is owned by some of the richest and most powerful people in the country. Uh, so the aristocracy, the clergy, um, and it, it only really came out uh, who owned this slum when London County Council um, repossessed, like, decided they needed to clear it. So they, um, it was only when they were offering to, like, forcing people to sell it that the, the owners came out of the woodwork and started clamouring for more money. Um, before that, they were really, really quiet when one of the conditions were Before that, there was, yeah, it was very difficult to trace the owners because obviously they weren't collecting the rent themselves. There were lots of middlemen. Um, and there were investigations into who owned these places, but often kind of inconclusive. Apparently, like one of the one of the owners of a whole load of of buildings in the slum was um, he's the man with the longest five-barreled non-repetitive non surname in Great Britain, <laughs> and so his name was Richard Plantagenet Campbell Temple Nugent Bridges Chandos Grenville, otherwise known as the Third Duke of Buckingham and Chandos. So, Do you want to just say that one more time? Okay. Really yeah. Quickly? So, yeah. so he's Richard Plantagenet Campbell Temple Nugent Bridges Chandos Grenville. <laughs> well who's, done, yeah, man. The, the Duke of Buckingham and Chandos. Um, so yeah, which is which is incredible. Like this, yeah, the the aristocracy owning this place and and people living in really really like awful conditions. So I went into the Museum of London to try and find recordings of um, of conditions in in these slums. And there's a recording with a guy called Arthur Harding, and this recording was made in the 1970s. And he's passed away, but he was the last surviving person who, who had memories of this slum. And there are, I think there are over 40 hours of recordings with him. So he, like, he just basically told his life. It's an extraordinary thing. But he talks about um, one of the first places that they had in the old Nickel slum. I can remember it now because it was more shapely. Mm -hmm. And we still slept on the floor. Mm -hmm. Still, all, all, mm -hmm. There was now the baby slept in a box, mm -hmm. you see, and and in and, and the orange box. So I did used to sit when I was mm -hmm. a kiddie, you see. And, uh, and, and me and my sister, Mary, she was uh, up for Yeah, so the, the baby is sleeping in this orange box, mm -hmm. an orange crate, where, you know, where he... Um, slept as a baby, and presumably all the little ones, they you know they were in this orange box. And then I, I was listening to the, some other recordings, um, which are from uh, the Rothschild buildings, which are later on in the 20th century. So these are 1920s, 1930s, and they're tenement blocks. And then we would now consider them to be pretty poor conditions, but um, they're the equivalent of what would we'd now call. A, uh, a housing association, um, but there, yeah, it was set up by philanthropists, and it was mostly um, Jewish immigrants who were living in these buildings. And yeah, there's this really nice bit because actually, the, like the orange box comes back, but it's in a slightly different way. So, what furniture did you have in your living room? 
furniture. My man was a very <laughs> nice orange box, and it was covered over with nice pieces of it too. Really? We had, orange, we had orange boxes. What for? For to eat home. You had the dining table, you had the big dining table. Afterwards either, we had orange boxes and we had no liner on the floor. No, we had, we had no liner. If you had to come into our house, what? Scrub what? Scrub what? My mother was a wonderful woman, yeah. because I'm saying it. Did you have, what, did you have the chairs? Yeah, well, you had chairs. Oh, even, I remember when my, my, my younger sister went, a boy wanted to take her home, wanted to take him home. So she said, I can't bring a boy home. Yeah, I've got um, three, chair, three legs on one chair. Where's going to sit? It's the truth. Yeah, I, the latter years, yes. First thing we done, we bought those. And my mother first those, then we bought this table. Oh, we bought, uh, we did. My mother bought a side. Well, when, you, when you were first there, you had orange boxes to eat off and to sit on. Did you sit on orange yeah, boxes? Yeah, we had sat on. My mother answered. This was, And where did your brothers sleep? Did they have a fold up bed, like a truckle bed? Was no, it? no. You had a did you have a chair bed? So, yeah, this is slightly later, and this is. Um, so we've moved out of the private rented sex. We're in a, um, what, we are what we call like a social landlord now. And yeah, I really like how the, the orange boxes, which have like gone from being like the cot where the baby sleeps, they're now like the chairs or the table. And we've got, um, um, so they've kind of moved, moved up in the world. Moved up in the world. It's funny to think that nowadays, if you, if you, you know, you can buy like orange crates from like posh shops or whatever in, in Chiswick and they cost a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas these guys were like, oh, that looks useful. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, you know, and it's used, it's a necessity. You have to have something to, yeah. to eat off and sit on. So, yeah. um, so it's quite And the, the story in the middle, which is a bit difficult to hear that. So she's talking about, they're talking about chairs and um, they're saying, she talks about her sister not being able to bring a boyfriend home to the house because like the extra chair only had three legs so <laughs> so he would have nowhere to sit um just coming back to slum conditions we were struck by some quotes we read in this book um the blacker streets which is about the old nickel slum and how they're actually quite close to some of the things that we've been reading the you know, articles that we've been reading that have come out uh, as we've been researching this project so we've got this story from The Guardian on 25th of June 2015, uh, which is about overcrowding. So um, it says, housing enforcement officers have discovered 26 people living in a three-bedroom family home in East London in what authorities are calling one of the most extreme examples of illegal overcrowding uncovered in recent years. And yeah, and that's quite an extreme example of it, but obviously overcrowding is a, a, a common occurrence in, in London. And then we've got from the blackest streets, and this was in the 1890s. Along the street at number 53, the Nichols' notorious overcrowding reaches its highest density, with 90 people crowded into one 10-roomed house. But a similar level of tenant packing is achieved by a room, 7 foot by 14 feet, in Collingwood Place, which, it is said, is called home by 12 individuals. And then there, were, yeah, there was another um, kind of parallel that we noticed, which is about children. Um, so in the Blackest Streets, um, uh, Sarah Wiseman talks about in order to deal with these terrible conditions, uh, there's a lot of um, alcoholism. And there are quite a large number of court cases where, because people have been so crowded, the small children, babies, share, share the bed with the parents. And because they're so inebriated, 
the parents roll over in the night and, and crush the children. And we were reminded of this. It's not exactly the same thing, but again, it's about... The effects of children, The effects on children, like the terrible effects that, that poor housing conditions have on children, which is um, from Anna, Anna Minton's book, uh, Ground Control, which is taken from a, a study, a report that she did for Shelter. And she talks about um, West Pilton, which is it's in Edinburgh, isn't it? Yeah, so it's in a really rough part of, um, of Edinburgh. Um, there's a lot of poverty there. And um, I think she quotes um, Simon Toyne. Yeah. Um, so the deputy unit manager at the West Pilton Child and Family Centre told the Edinburgh investigation, if the place is cluttered and there's nowhere for the child to sit or lie or play, you get buggy children. We get a lot of young babies that end up in their buggies for hours on end. Their heads get straightened because they've spent so much time lying down. In a baby, the skull is so soft it misshapes their head. The skull sets and they're left with lifelong damage. It's such a huge stigma and for something that could have been avoided. There's a huge amount of guilt in parents who later realise that it's too late to do anything. I think, yeah, I mean, that, and that's the links to um, the, the blackest streets are just, yeah, the effects that that has on the children. So um, the reason why children are stuck in these um, buggies is because parents um, are living in conditions um, or, you know, families are living in conditions that they don't want to put the children down on the floor and that's why they stay in these in these buggies. So um, whether there's damp, whether there's vermin, whether there's... Um, uh, there's the just the, the houses just aren't clean, so parents would much rather keep the children in the buggies than let them crawl around on the floor, which means that everything is affected. Their um, cognitive development is hugely affected, as well as the physical developments. Mm. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, the the effects of parents drinking in the in the blackest streets that, that Ben talked about, um, and all of that, and how difficult it is for um, parents to to cope with the everyday struggles of living in really bad conditions that has um a, a kind of direct and indirect impact upon the upon the children who who, who live there as well yeah. and you you were saying to me that um the statutory overcrowding uh rules yeah so they didn't change between 1935 and 2005. Yeah, so again, part of the shelter report that we were looking at that, um, that Anna Minton also happened to write um, talks a lot about statutory overcrowding and how at the time, yeah, between 1935 until about, well, certainly it hadn't changed by 2005. Things like children um, under the age of one weren't considered people so they could then sleep with they could then obviously sleep with the parents they didn't need a bed of their own uh, or a room of their own um and how um i think it was kids under the age of like 12 or something like this they were considered half a person so that's how they kind of got around this kind of overcrowding that has changed now um so that you know for example babies do have to have their own rooms um and so we can we have seen a development in policy when it comes to thinking about um statutory overcrowding but i think one of the problems at the moment that councils are facing when families are declared homeless or declare themselves homeless is that councils are struggling to find places for them to to live that yeah. are good enough and that have enough rooms so Ben has actually spoke to spoke to a few people on Sweet's Way who yeah. were re rehoused. 
Um, um, you might want to just explain so yeah, where so Sweet Sway is. The Sweet Sway estate is in Barnet. And over the last, um, I think, eight months or so, the estate has been uh, decanted, which is what they call it when uh, people, are, people leave the estate, um, people are rehoused. I recorded an interview with Esma, and this was a few months ago. Um, and she was talking about the um, conditions of the places where she was rehoused and them being completely inadequate. Oh, it's like animals that used to live there. It was terrible. The day that we yeah. got there, the day that we got there, we didn't even have to use the key to get in. If you push the door, it's not you're secure. welcome. Yeah. It's not and then, and then when you we push it, you and then we called them like to come and fix yeah. it because like how could you sleep when you know yeah. anybody can come push your door and they'll welcome in. My son, he's having just the bed, the place yeah, for the his bed. Yeah, his rooms are booked. Nothing, really. nothing. They, they, they do like you know the landlord is clever. And they pay him for that because even them, they know, you know, they, they play in the game between them, to be honest. This is the, you know, the, the, the world, they play in a game between them. Like they split in one room. Yeah, they've two. taken a room and split it into two. Two? And the, like, if, the room, if they split evenly the room, they will be like, okay... But one, my brother's room, all you can fit in is the just bed. Just bed. Nothing else, nothing. just the bed. You can put nothing. And the, the, the mess, you know, the kitchen is sticky. It was sticky, you know. I clean it four days with bleach. I put, I took put bleach like that it. to clean it. Took me four days. And they said, everything is fine. You know, I don't know how these people, we are under pressure and they put more pressure on us, you know. Look, this is in my daughter's room. The boiler. The boiler. Look, the, the, the dam. And they said everything is okay. And they pay in their rent expensive. It's not cheap. So yeah, that was Esma and her daughter, Kortha, um, talking about uh, the flat that uh, Barnet Council had rehoused them in, and they've since um, been rehoused in somewhere else. Um, they managed to, yeah, get the council to give them somewhere else, but it's still it's much too small for for a family of their size. And also, the stress of going through that whole process has been really, like, really terrible for them, um, and really wearing. So we've got a little quote from. Um Julia Unwin, who's the chief exec of the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. Um, and she says, just to kind of round this, this part off, at the turn of the 20th century, the free market had provided squalid slums. We undoubtedly face the recreation of slums, the enrichment of bad landlords, the risk of people being destitute. Beveridge had soup kitchens. We have food banks. We've got something that does take us back full circle a deep divide in a way of life between people who are reasonably well-off and those who are poor. There's always been a difference, but the distinction seems to be more stark now. So, yeah, like, like we've been saying all along, we, we have this system which seems to be coming back towards you know, the slum conditions not that dissimilar from what you've got at the end of the 19th century in Victorian London. 
And again, I think it was you speaking to Catherine. We wanted to understand, so yeah, for someone to speak us through what happens when a family or someone has nowhere to go and what's what that process is that they go through. Yeah, and, and she actually talks particularly about um, families um, because things are slightly different if you're single. Um, things are different if you... Um, are a couple if you're a family you can go to the council and they you have a right to be rehoused um and so she's talking particularly about um family being rehoused here and, and what happens um when a family's made homeless and there's certain tests that they have to pass so basically they have to prove that they weren't made homeless intentionally so that nothing they did or didn't do contribute towards their homelessness so for example if the family had got into rent arrears they might not be eligible for full assistance. The second thing they have to pass is to prove that they are in priority need. So that means that they're a particular priority. If you're a family with children, you will be in priority need, and there are various other categories of households that are considered to be particularly vulnerable. You also have to demonstrate you have a connection to the local um, area so that they have a duty to house you. Um, and if you meet those tests, the council will, and while they're making their inquiries, they should put you in temporary accommodation. That might be somewhere quite far away from where where you live um, and you don't necessarily know how long you're going to stay there and it could be on a variety of different accommodation. Um, councils aren't meant to use um, bed and breakfast for extended periods of time but some still do so it's, it's really variable um, and after some time, could be weeks, more likely months and months, maybe even over a year, um, in that temporary accommodation you should be offered some form of permanent housing. Now the laws change, so it used to be that you have to be offered a social house, um, but now the council can offer you a private rented sector tenancy or a social um, home, and um, and that could be could be quite somewhere away. Yeah, I think um, just just thinking about um, the precarity of of living in the private rental sector kind of brings us onto um, the amount of people that are facing homeless homelessness. So there are kind of three different types of homelessness if we're going to put it into a into kind of um brackets i guess you've got the visible homelessness that you see on the streets um you've got um invisible homelessness so that's people who might do um you know a few days on the sofa here and there and and maybe do it a couple of days on the streets, possibly. And then you've got um, statutory homelessness, which is the ones that we were talking about earlier. So families who are um, who become homeless for whatever reasons, um, and would go to the to the council to apply for um, to be rehoused. So this is Catherine again um, speaking about um, uh, people who are on the verge of homelessness and how we don't know that much about those people, but that the amount of people who are on the verge of homelessness is kind of growing. I think more and more people are on the verge of it and are kind of just, you know, struggling to keep their heads above water um, and falling behind a bit with the rent or the bills. or um, And that puts immense pressure on people, um, both financially, and we're seeing, you know, things like huge rise in food bank use, um, but also emotionally, that's hugely draining. You know, the fear that you might lose your house is kind of ever-present and huge. And if you've got a young family, for example, uh, you know, really worrying about what's going to happen in the future. And I think more and more people are finding themselves in that situation. And sadly, I think looking forward, more and more people will in the future. 
I think, in, I guess, in relation to the to the project overall, this is a thread that kind of keeps coming back to us, yeah. doesn't it? This um, lack of security, the lack of security, and how important um, to have a secure home is, and how that makes you feel. Mm. Um, and we were thinking about what. So a home is quite literally, it's a place that you can keep your stuff and you can invite people around and friends. It's a place you relax in. It's a place that you can feel safe and secure in, um, um, hopefully. And um, that not having a home means that you don't have those things. And I guess it's just, a, it's a very kind of difficult, sad situation for us to kind of talk to people about and kind of, I guess, like report on. It's really difficult. Yeah. And just to come back to that idea of security, this big theme of your home is is not your home anymore. It's um, something that that is costed, which is monetized, which is a property. Um, so even for people who, who own homes, there's a, there's a real mythology and a real narrative that's built up around um, this is something that you can make money out of and you're encouraged to think about it this way you know and you get a home and you do it up and you sell it on for more money and you buy somewhere else and you do that up and all the time you're thinking about it as an investment or an asset rather than somewhere where you can just you know live and be safe and be happy and it's really I think it's really this this speculation um, this this shift in the way that we think about where we live yeah, that pro- that they're called properties and not homes. Yeah, this is something that affects that affects everyone. This lack of security, um, and yeah, that's um, that's a blight on the lives of of everyone because we need somewhere that we can call home. So whilst we've been talking, and this is kind of our our conclusion now, I guess, um, Deanna has been coming up with some poetry for us, which I think has been inspired by the things that we've talked about mm-hmm. today. And I guess we'll just we'll just go straight into it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so oh, it's also probably just worth saying that yeah, it's only been a few hours or something, and Deanna's come up with this. So knocking on atoms' doors, squinting at these portals. And at some point between closed and dreaming, I'm seeing a utopia of giants and nine-foot-tall humans of purpose and harmony and places to sleep that are free of transition and change. And then I'm awake again in a basement with a mic in my face and talk of 2015 slums and different names for soup kitchen rations. I'm losing rational thoughts, so I start saying shit like... Maybe our choice is to move borough, move city, move country. Maybe that should be our currency, where we take our feet, choose to lay our heads to sleep. Perhaps that will beat the greed in this capital city. Move where? When kids are in schools and neighbours are free childcare and nowhere feels safe, where temporary accommodation is not a holiday, no beach and breakfast. Naive D, don't be fixed on an ideal we'll never reach. Never reach if the belief is that money is the reality, that illusion is truth, that disproportionate wealth is what is and will forever be. Change, you say D, change how? When poverty has got us sinking deeper into the dark places of life, like cheap food is luxury when you can hardly afford to feed your kids what choice does melancholy leave when exhaustion prevents sleep and what choice do councils keep from the vulnerable at the bottom of the heap and tell me how to build a home when you're reminded it ain't your property and don't tell me home is in my bones my eyes my mind 
Don't tell me that it's mine to find inside my body, my blackened body, overcrowded limbs, flattened mind, buggy legs. Lay me in vermin, in your liquid numb arms, decanter me from slums, squalor level private sector, hidden between four days of bleach, and everything is fine, everything is okay, it's okay, pay what you can barely afford, stress, free market enriched with capped benefit, so knock, knock on Atom's doors, cause heaven's gates are unregulated, Bashing, screaming, split apart, let us in to the future, let us into the past, let us into more time to find rent and find peace of mind. How did we get locked out of our own lives? How did we miss the blue letters, the sold out council letters? I'm sorry, Miss Single Person, you're not high priority. I apologise, couple nine to five, your pay package doesn't disguise the arrears you've racked up, intentional home losers, and family of five, be satisfied the doors let the world in as you would like us to do for you, so put up with the tarpaulin roofs, contagious damp and leaking wires, put up with what you can't afford to lose. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for, for that, having me. for speaking with us today, for being here today, for joining in. So I guess that's kind of bringing us to a bit of a close today. Um, we're going to have links to um, Diana's web page on our web page. Um, all the stuff that we've mentioned. And I think oh, we're going to thanks gonna... to the, the Arts Council for oh. funding this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, and yeah. so um, do keep. Um, I keep going back to our um, webpage to see about more information about our the next podcasts that are coming up and about the show Britain's Got Tenants that we're going to be putting on next year. Um, and I f- think that's it for now. We'll leave you with a brilliant song called Greedy Landlord. The month of July in the year 54 There were slates up the roof There were holes in the floor There were rats in the cellar And we hadn't got a cent When the landlord came and told us He was putting up the rent Oh, that greedy landlord Oh, 